Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Katrina Blower is here with you. Banksia Hill is Western Australia's only juvenile detention centre. Officers at the centre have been exposed for using what's called the folding up technique to restrain young people. It's a movement banned in Queensland over fears it could lead to suffocation or even death. In today's briefing, Rihanna Patrick investigates how children, some as young as 10, are being treated inside Banksia Hill. I think it's one of those sort of switch off topics people don't really necessarily want to know and engage with it because I think people find it hard perhaps finding sympathy for these kids. That's Rihanna's interview with ABC journalist Grace Tobin. And as you'll hear, the WA government has committed to stop officers using this folding up restraint. But it prompts the question, what are we even doing locking up 10 year old kids in the first place? That chat is coming up in the second half of this podcast episode. But first, Antoinette Latouf is here with today's headlines. It is Monday, December 5. The federal government is pushing the Queensland and New South Wales governments to introduce caps on coal prices in a bid to reduce household energy bills. But both governments are pushing back. So the price of coal has risen from $100 a tonne to $600 a tonne in the wake of the war in Ukraine, and that price is passed on to consumers. Yeah, so the Albanese government wants to impose caps as part of its energy market intervention, and that's hoped to eventually reduce the impact on households and businesses. They'd prefer the states to do this, but we've got legal advice that says that the Commonwealth can do this. Again, this is a national problem that requires a national solution. You can't have every state and territory going off and doing their own thing. New South Wales Energy Minister Matt Keane on the ABC. So, Katrina, the problem is the states make an enormous amount of money in profits from energy companies. So this means any cap on the prices those companies charge will actually impact state government revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And they're talking, you know, that potentially the Commonwealth will have to compensate these generators in each state by billions of dollars. I guess another thing that's mm. on the cards could be the federal government subsidising prices um, in a bid to provide some relief for households and small businesses. But either way, we're not going to see the impact of any of these measures for possibly six months, might mm. even be a year. So 2023 is still going to be pretty tough. And if you remember back to um, when the budget was announced, it was forecast that households over the next couple of years, they'll be whacked with um, power bills that cost 56% more. Yeah, I've certainly noticed it on mine. So uh, both Queensland and New South Wales are going to be pushing for this compensation when National Cabinet meets this Wednesday. Anthony Albanese will end the year at the top of the polls. So the latest news poll for the Australian newspaper shows Labor's primary lifting a point to 39%. This is the highest level of support for Labor since before the election and it's more than six points higher than its election result of 32.6%. This honeymoon is lasting a while, Antoinette. Uh, The coalition has made no ground over the past month with its primary vote unchanged on 35%, almost a point down on its election result of 35.7%. 
But there is at least some good news for the coalition. Its support was at just 31% in September. So that's increased a little bit. Meanwhile, there's this super interesting study that's been published, Katrina. And so it's about the so-called teal independence. And it found that the majority of votes in May's federal election actually came from Labor and Greens voters rather than disaffected Liberals. So this research by the Australian National University found well, what they described as like tactical voters, like more than half of the voters who ticked the box for the Teal candidates, they weren't those who deserted the Libs because a lot of those Teal independents won Liberal stronghold seats. It was actually from Labor or Greens voters who decided to be a bit strategic in their votes and help the Teals get over the line. Wow, that is super interesting. And I wonder if that will change how they target people in the future. I guess given that a lot of their campaign was done on social media, you've got to expect that type of results. It's generally younger people who are on that platform anyway. But yeah, super interesting to see how that's going to affect what they do in the future. After months of protests in Iran following the death of Mahsa Amini at the hands of the morality police, the country's attorney general says that that police unit is being disbanded. So those comments about the controversial police unit, which enforces the country's Islamic dress code, they were made by the country's attorney general and it's been reported by local media, but it hasn't been confirmed officially by a government agency. So 22-year-old Masa Amini was arrested and detained by the morality police for allegedly breaking strict rules on head coverings and she died in police custody and women-led protests were then sparked across the country following her death. Uh, many have been filmed taking off their headscarves and burning them. There are estimates by human rights activists in Iran that as of late last month, nearly 450 protesters, and that includes 63 minors, so Lots of high school students have been out protesting as well. Um, It's estimated that that is the number of people that have been killed in these protests so far. I guess the important thing to remember, Katrina, is that even if the morality police unit is shut down, um, and we don't know if this is just like a temporary shutting down or a a permanent disbanding of the unit, it doesn't actually mean the decades-old law about the headscarf will actually change. And I've been reading a lot of comments this morning uh, from women in Iran saying that, yeah, it's great that potentially the morality police could be wound back, but what they want is a revolution. They want a change of government. The man accused of being an ISIS terrorist, Neil Prakash, has been slapped with six charges after being extradited to Australia. So the 31-year-old appeared via video link at Darwin Court yesterday and has been formally accused of a range of offences. Among them, allegations he'd been a member of the terrorist organisation Islamic State, engaged in an act of terror and provided support to a terrorist group. The Northern Territory Chief Judge on Friday approved prosecutors' request for Mr Prakash to be extradited to Melbourne to be charged by the AFP Victorian Joint Counter-Terrorism Team. And Shane Warne has been named as a legend by the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. Warney was inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame back in 2009. He took 708 wickets from his 145 tests and made leg spin an art form. This is Warney's daughter, Brooke. 
as everyone knows, he's a legend, so it's very well deserved that he now gets elevated to legend status. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. It's really, really special. So this means Warnie will be inducted as legend alongside the distance runner Ron Clark, and he'll also join other legends, including Don Bradman, Don Fraser. Kathy Freeman and Rod Laver. Yeah, it's a shame he's no longer with us to celebrate this. I reckon his celebration of this legendary status would have been off the charts. Mm. All right, thanks for joining us, Antoinette. Coming up, we've got Rihanna's chat about a folding up technique to restrain young people and what's going on inside Banksia Hill. Hey, Rihanna Patrick here. Australians were stunned back in July 2016 when the ABC's Four Corners program showed the treatment of juvenile inmates at the Dondale Detention Centre in the Northern Territory. Children as young as 12 were tied to chairs and spit hoods were placed over their heads. It resulted in a Royal Commission into the treatment of youth detainees. The Northern Territory government promised to ban the hoods, but we learned earlier this year that the hoods were still being used. Well, a new Four Corners report has raised questions about the treatment of young offenders in Western Australia's Banksia Hill Detention Centre. It houses children, both boys and girls, aged 10 to 17, and is the only centre for young offenders in Western Australia. The report, hosted by the ABC's two-time Walkley award-winning investigative journalist Grace Tobin, found widespread use of a restraint called folding up. Grace, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. You took a look into the treatment of young people at Banksia Hill Detention Centre. What did you find? My investigation with Four Corners was looking at uh, the issue of youth detention on a whole within Australia, and we really honed in on Banksia Hill in WA because of the sort of appalling track record that that particular detention centre has had in recent times, particularly over the last 12 months. So we were looking into the issue of unlawful confinement Basically, multiple courts this year in WA have found that the WA government has been unlawfully confining children to their cell for almost 24 hours a day. Courts had found that that was unlawful anyway, but the government was continuing to do it. And still, you know, it seems that they're continuing to do that. So our investigation looked at that. It also looked at issues of excessive force. Um, so the use of force by guards against children and whether that force was appropriate or not. And then one of the main aspects uh, that we looked at was in regards to some footage that we obtained from the centre. So this was the first time that uh, media had been able to exposed footage from within this centre and uh, that footage showed a really dangerous uh, technique, a really dangerous restraint called folding up that was being used against a young teenager. Tell me, Grace, then about this folding up technique. I mean, what is it and why is it controversial? Well, look, when we first got the footage, we actually didn't really know exactly what we were looking at. So it is distressing to watch. It's obviously a very young boy. Essentially, the footage shows this boy in one of the clips trying to escape his cell and then being taken down by guards onto his stomach. So it's basically lying a child onto their stomach and then restraining them by pulling their hands behind their back. Often they're cuffed. 
basically one leg is folded over the other like the number four and then a guard will sit on top of the child. We did find out through our investigation that this was something that had been banned in Queensland five years ago now for similar reasons, that footage was released there and uh, there was a review that was done. It was found that holding a child in that sort of prone position on their stomach carries the risk of suffocation and death. So the fact that the WA government was still using it all those years later, even after Queensland had banned it, was pretty significant. Betsy Hill is the only detention centre in Western Australia. So depending on where you are, I mean, children are flown to Perth um, when they're detained there. Um, I mean, you got to talk um, and you mentioned that you just got to speak to some of those young people that had been there. I mean, what did they tell you about their experiences? That was probably the more difficult part of this investigation was speaking with the children directly who had been locked up in these conditions. And I think that really gave me, at least personally, the perspective of, you know, we are talking about children and, you know, some of these boys and girls, for that matter, are as young as 10 years old. The kids that we spoke to uh, ranged in age from sort of like 12 to 17, but a lot of them also through speaking to them, you get this understanding that they have really complex needs. So some of them had ADHD, fetal alcohol um, syndrome disorder. Uh, so of course, you know, they're committing crimes. There's no way that we can escape the fact that these kids are committing crimes. I think what they are experiencing though in those conditions is doing nothing to help stamp out youth crime. And that was something that we found, particularly in the Kimberley, as you mentioned, some of these kids have flown thousands of kilometres across the state to this one youth detention centre, away from family, away from any support system. And then they're locked down in conditions where a lot of them aren't receiving education. A lot of them aren't receiving the sort of mental health support systems that they really require. We also found through our investigation that a lot of the kids who are there are being uh, held on remand, so they haven't even been sentenced, and it's over things like property damage or theft. Your report also spoke to those who are putting together a class action by some of the former detainees of Banksia Hill against the Western Australian government. I mean, where is that out and what's the latest? Yeah, so the class action has been ticking along now for some months, um, almost 12 months. Uh, the lawyers on that have been working very hard uh, alongside some advocates in Western Australia to basically gather testimony from hundreds of former and current detainees. Um, the problems at Banksia Hill have been going on for many, many years. It's escalated over the last 12 months. So a lot of those uh, people who have given testimony are actually kids who have been in there quite recently. The testimony, and look, I'm not um, privy to exactly what that class action has gathered, of course, that will come out in court and it'll be filed in, in federal court and, and that will be a matter for the courts to decide. But my understanding is that a lot of that testimony actually shows, uh, you know, a pattern and it's a pattern of things like excessive force. It's a pattern of unlawful confinement, being confined to yourself for almost 24 hours a day and a lack of things like education, mental health supports, um, a, a lack of rehabilitation. And I think that's really important in this conversation. Grace, what's been the response to your story since it went to air? Well, it's interesting. Um, 
the Justice Department has confirmed that folding up as a restraint is going to be banned within the month. So that impact has been two weeks coming now. Uh, The Premier initially came out immediately after the story and said that that restraint would be reviewed. Now, two weeks later, we've finally got news that, yes, the department's reviewed it and they will be phasing it out. So that in itself is positive news. I think it's a good first step forward. There's been a, a crisis talk held just last week as well with key stakeholders in Western Australia. So the Premier and Corrective Services Minister attended that and listened to people in this space about what can be done better. And yet they were sort of um, putting forward that they had done these things when when they haven't. So I think it's um, youth detention is a really complicated issue. It doesn't get a lot of attention either. I think it's one of those sort of switch off topics people don't really necessarily want to know and engage with it because I think people find it hard perhaps finding sympathy for these kids when they are committing crimes and they're putting uh, members of the community at risk. I think we've just got to try and think bigger picture than that. And hopefully that's going to happen now in Western Australia. Yeah, Grace, you mentioned before about, you know, children as young as 10 are in Banksia Hill. And earlier this year, a group of them were transferred to a section of the Casuarina adult prison for damaging their cells at Banksia Hill. And I mean, there's always been this conversation you know, with state and territory governments about raising the age of criminal responsibility. I mean, where is that at at the moment? Yeah, look, it's been really slow process. It's something that the UN is quite scolding of Australia in the fact that we still lock up kids as young as 10 years old. So year five in most states, that's that's how old those kids are. Uh, and it's something that we're at odds with, uh, with the rest of the developed world. And I mean, even just to put in perspective, countries like Russia, China, Egypt, they don't lock up kids that young either. So we're, we're really sort of dragging behind internationally on those standards. And it is a campaign that's taken a long time to get any momentum. Our report um, exposed the fact that all the attorney generals and uh, justice departments from around the country actually reviewed the situation back in 2020. And they uh, compiled a report that's remained secret ever since. And essentially that report shows that the majority of justice departments in Australia recommended raising the age of criminal responsibility to 14 without exception. But instead of doing that, the report got buried and nothing happened. Now, since our report came out, uh, the Federal Attorney General just last week has said that he's looking into whether uh, the federal government can try and um, encourage that report to be released publicly so that stakeholders, lawyers, people in this space can actually take a proper look at what the evidence was that uh, all these uh, state governments received back in 2020. So hopefully that will start making a difference. Yeah, and Grace, I mean, the situation of locking up 10-year-olds obviously isn't the answer, but, you know, what is the solution and did anyone that you speak to have an idea of what that could look like? I think that was the thing about this report um, is, you know, it's not as though our governments around the country haven't looked at this issue and haven't looked at alternatives to doing that. And there are countries around the world leading in this space. Um, Scotland, for instance, is one of them. I think what the report really showed is that there's got to be more effort put into rehabilitation. So we can't just be building prisons for kids. It's got to be I guess, secure accommodation that 
essentially looks to rehabilitating children, looks to putting them onto a better path, diverting them from crime, that putting them into conditions that, again, are essentially prison. I think the argument is that even where we have this narrative against youth crime, and I mean, I've done lots of stories on youth crime and some of the things that kids are capable of are shocking, but if we're putting them into an environment that then makes it worse uh, and we have evidence to say that there are alternatives to doing that, there's a better way of doing it, surely most people in the community would be on board with the idea that we could reduce crime through those means. That was ABC journalist Grace Tobin from Four Corners who looked into youth detention in Australia but also what was happening at Banksia Hill Detention Centre in Western Australia. And as Grace mentioned there, finding a better way to rehabilitate young offenders has to be one of the solutions than just locking up children. And I think we can all agree that perhaps children behind bars isn't the best thing. That is it from us for today's briefing. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up tomorrow, we are going to take a look inside North Korea and get a feel for what's going on with Kim Jong-un's plans for the future. Listener.